Bi Plus, podcasting for the Bi Plus universe. I'm Elizabeth Meacham, here with my co-host, Mick Collins. And today we welcome Gail Foreman to discuss her upcoming book, Frankie and Bug. Welcome, Gail. Thank you for Hi, having Gail. me. Hi, Mick. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm really glad to be here. So glad to have you. Uh, could you provide a short introduction, just something about yourself, where you're from, that sort of thing? Hi, my name is Gail Foreman. I am originally from Los Angeles, but I have lived in New York City all most of my adult life. And I've been a novelist for the last 15 years, predominantly young adult novels. And Frankie and Bug is my debut middle grade novel. Cool. So uh, speaking of Frankie and Bug, give us a description of what Frankie and Bug actually is. Okay, the Frankie and Bug is about two tweens, aforementioned Frankie and Bug, um, over the course of sort of one life-changing summer for both of them. It takes place in 1987, which makes it historical fiction, and in California. And I guess if I had to sum up the book, um, something that Bug's mama always tells her is that life isn't fair. The most you can hope for is that it's, this has never really made a lot of sense. But over the course of this summer, I think both she and Frankie kind of come to understand what that means and what it will take to make the world more just. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was like the recurring theme, definitely. And she says it again and again. And I think a lot of us don't feel it's fair, which is okay. We learned that life's not fair and it's not supposed to be, but we also don't feel it's just. And I think you, you know, do a good job of going through the book and talking about, um, justice and that theme of, uh, you know, I think we think it's gonna happen for us and it ends up, Bug comes to the spot where they realize, no, you kind of have to pitch in here. <laughs> you know, it's not gonna happen by itself. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. Hope is a great thing, but hope has to be like an active verb and not a passive yeah. verb. Yeah. Hoping that I am going to hope for the best mm -hmm. while I work against yeah. sometimes what will seem like insurmountable odds to get there. Yeah, that's kind of like, you know, when people say, oh, I'll pray for you. Well, that's fine, uh, as well as you're doing something else, too, if you can. Yeah. You know, you do what you can. To me, it's like, sometimes you can't do anything, and that's all you can do. Fine, but if there's something you can do, or at least not make everybody else's life worse, you're supposed to be doing that, too. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I think the fair but just really hits, like, the age range also, because it's just as... Like you figure, you've got the world figured out. You realize you don't, and you know navigating why things happen when they shouldn't, but also understanding that you know fair but just. So I think that was I don't know I, I appreciated that that theme as it went throughout the the entire story. I have to give credit to my kids' elementary school for this. I mean, my kids, the it's not fair, I, I got from them all the time because everything in the yeah. world is not fair. But the school really emphasized the difference between equality and equity. Yeah. You know, which is not that everybody gets the exact same thing, yeah. but that everybody gets what they need. Yeah. And it's different for different for different children and different people. And I think that that kind of informed this idea that like it's, it's not the same for everybody. And we have to push to sort of get people where, where everybody needs to be. And, you know, for Bug, I think it was a real, it's a real coming of age story because, you know, stomping your foot and saying it's not fair is a very 10 year old thing to do. Sometimes a very older person thing to do as well, but opening your eyes to sort of see that the world is bigger than you. And yeah. I think you start to see the injustice other people face and your place in it, that is really 
a mark to me of of growing up of seeing yourself not just solipsistically like me 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 yeah. but I exist as part of a greater community and and what is my responsibility as a person in this community and you do see a lot of that with Bug you know she seems very naive at the beginning of the book you know and it's all about me and why can't why can't I why can't this Frankie guy just do what I want him to do it's all about me and then just slowly uh throughout the book becomes this completely different person in a matter of a summer. Um, and it's just a beautiful story of, of, you know, coming of age almost. Oh, it's, there's so many things in this book. I like the citizen's arrest. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, that was good. Yeah. And I'm like, these kids are going to get the crap beat out of them. You know, that was a thing though. Like when I was growing up, like that seemed like something viable you could actually do. You could, you could have a citizen's arrest of people doing something yeah. wrong yeah, and then there would be consequences. And I think that, you know, my kids growing up today, you know, going to black lives matter, yeah. protesting what's happening, civil rights. And this, they have to grapple with the fact of like, wait, somebody does something wrong and there's not a consequence for yeah, it. Like, yeah. that, that is really, really tough. And there hasn't been consequences for years. And I think that is the struggle with people who are in the margins. There is, you know, you can be working for justice, but if everybody's not working for it, sometimes you don't see it. And, you know, or somebody will think it's just, you know, okay, we've gotten racism's over, you know, no, it's far from over. Um, there was a lot of that. Remember when Obama got elected? Oh, well, of course. I'm not racist Absolutely. now. We are post-racist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's very easy for white people to say we're post-racist yeah. because yeah. they've never really been aware of racism because oh, yeah. it doesn't impact them because yeah. they're white people. So it's like, you've always been post-racist in that regard. But for the people who are feeling yeah. feeling the ongoing ramifications of systemic racism, it is not remotely. In fact, I think Obama showed just the opposite, how deeply entrenched we still are in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and also talking about this this uh, citizen arrest scene with was with the group of skinheads. And I was in Laguna Niguel in 87. And that was kind of when there were people who had shaved heads and called themselves skinheads. And then there was the racist group that was really coming in. And it was kind of, you know, depressing for you know, I, this kid, I remember um, had a the skinhead outfit and haircut, but wasn't a skinhead. And he, he kind of, um, what happened? I can't remember. Something happened with the skinheads in California in 87. And I remember something being on the news and all of a sudden people were going out and beating up skinheads. And this poor kid had to grow his hair out. He was so I, I'm so glad you bring that up because Bug makes that distinction. Like yeah. this is California. It's 1987. Yeah. The punk movement, particularly in a place like Venice Beach, was in full throttle and a lot of the punks look so like the same skin as the skinheads right yeah. they've got shaved heads yes. got the leather jackets all of that stuff and so when bug is first explaining this either to the reader or to frankie she's she's like oh those there's those are the good punks like they're they're yeah, not the yeah yeah you. but there yeah. literally were a skinhead gang in um venice called yeah. suicidal tendencies which was also a name of a punk band just to yeah. make things confusing and they absolutely did beat up people and they absolutely yeah. did beat up foreign tourists or anybody who looked quote unquote I'm making air quotes foreign we moved um I think in 80 late 87 December 87 up to Seattle and it, and it was really thick up there and you know Idaho and Washington were a haven especially like yeah. borderline for that yeah, yeah tell me about it yeah I, live I know he's from Oregon the same right yeah. and so like there have always been people yeah. who are overtly overtly racist overtly yeah. supremacist it's yeah. just they just found each other and moved to Coeur d'Alene I guess 
Is that how, yeah, Nick, is that kind of your experience? We had Coeur d'Alene, um, the Hayden Lake area, and then some areas in East Idaho that had some big compounds. I'm originally from Idaho, and yeah, in the 80s, it was it was kind of a big deal. And yeah. like you knew about like, cause the original skinhead movement, they were just working class folks. And then the mm -hmm. racist skinheads kind of infiltrated and, and that's who you heard of most. Yeah, so you kind of had the look. distinction yeah. between like, okay, you got, you know, the, you know, either good skins or good punks. And then you got these racist creeps over here who are just ruining it for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. This just kind of, you know, I never got up to LA, but this whole book just reminds me of that, that, I was there and like, I was kind of confused because I was going to ask you how you knew so much about California because I was told you're from New York, but clearly I grew up, I grew up, I grew up there. there. So this my childhood and this, this yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I lose count of how many books I've written, but this is the first book I've ever set in Los Angeles. And, oh and you know, in a lot of my, most of my books, I would say setting is a character and it was just delightful to have Venice be a character because it yeah. really was, and still is it was just but back in the 80s it was just this haven yeah it was yeah. just this bubble where you you know you could be anyone and that's sort of the reason I love New York City I moved here and it sort of felt like that but across all five boroughs yeah, yeah. just reminds me of my time in the 80s in California so I was just so thrilled about the setting it was awesome um <laughs> what inspired <laughs> you to write about a trans child and the broader topic of supporting um LGBTQIA plus people. I started this book in 2013 um, and it was just, I started thinking about growing up in Los Angeles and particularly in the 80s and among the sort of the AIDS crisis and all of the sort of homophobia at the time. And back then, if you were queer for the most part, you kept it secret. Right. Yeah. And even as a kid, it didn't make sense to me that like anybody would care about who anybody loved or what clothing they wore, how they wanted to kind of perform their gender. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at it, you know, just, you know, and now I have, you know, lots of gay married friends with children. And I was just thinking about like, why have some things made such progress so quickly and other things have not. And I was also thinking specifically about um, the 80s. There was a, there was a mass migration from, from Central America mm -hmm. because of all of the sort of proxy wars that were being fought there yeah. during the Cold War and how we treated immigrants then and how we treat them now. And I actually put the book aside because in my, immediately when I knew about it, I knew it was gonna be about these two kids. I knew Frankie, was trans, although trans in 1987 and from Ohio where he really didn't have a, a sort of a vocabulary to describe himself. He just knew this is who he was yeah. according to people in his family and his community. This was not who he was supposed to be. And so when I started to write it, there became like the, the trans movement and I feel like trans rights issue really kind of came to the fore and we saw, you know, all kinds of things happening in books and pop culture and in the conversation. And I just sort of felt like, you know what, I'm going to put this aside because I am not trans. I'm a, I'm a cis white woman and it is not the right time to write this book, but it kept coming back to me. And then particularly when I started to see all of these sort of transphobic bills passing and when we were putting children in cages, migrant children in cages, mm -hmm. it again was like, look at how much things change in some ways. And 
stay the same in other ways. And then I started to see the sort of same vilification that we had done, you had seen in the eighties against sort of gay men in particular, now being focused against trans kids. And it was just like, I had, because I am an aged writer in my fifties, I had this sort of broad view of it. And I had my own kids who didn't quite understand how in some ways things can change so quickly. And I think that's hopeful to realize in a generation, yeah. it can be like, it can be unlike yeah. anything you might've imagined. Yeah. And on the same token, other issues remain stubbornly in place. Or go backwards. That's, yeah, that's, or go know, back. like feminism. Yeah. What yeah. the heck what happened to, to feminism? Yeah, like what do we have to do yeah. to to move everything forward? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you, you don't just address trans stuff though, um, or issues though. Uh, you go into racial injustice with, um, and and kind of, uh, with, uh, bugs, moms, um, family. You yes. know, and and uh, Bug and her brother Danny are half Salvadoran. There is that issue of justice underlying everything, and how to be, how to support people. Um, you know, Bug finds out uh, what's going on with Frankie, and it doesn't understand why people just don't get over it. You know, uh, why is this a big deal? and uh, finds out slowly that it is a big deal and how to support Frankie, um, you know, and, and uh, pointing out, her mom points out how the uncle is supporting Frankie and the uncle happens to be, should I be spoiling all this book? But, you know, there's all these things in this book when in a kind of wondering where, how we talk as parents, how, what do you think is the best way to talk about justice with kids who are going through this and like if I were coming of age today I would want to use I would want to use they just yeah. because but I feel like you know at my age I'm just like I'm just gonna stick yeah. to it no I yeah. kind of like she just because for me it's like an, I'm tired of the stereotypical woman and people saying well because you're a girl you have to so it's my way of saying I'm still a girl and I don't have to do anything exactly I don't want so exactly. I mean that's for me but my yeah. child likes to go by day um, and, and that's more of a struggle for me than it is my kid. I think they're very natural pickup uh, language changes very easily. Um, yes. All my kids do. But um, so how do parents, especially those of us who struggle with the English language, what do you think are some good, um, going from this example um, in this in this books, clearly you have some insight here. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? How do we model justice? How do we talk to them about justice? And how do we support them? I think that's such a good question and, and thank you for asking that. And it's, I love that you're supporting your kid and, and I love how you sort of describe how your own gender feels yeah. to you. Look, I think one of the things I love about the characters of Frankie and Bug is like they are trying to support each other and they make a lot of mistakes along the way. It is very hard to know how to support somebody who is different from you. Your, your, your fallback is to be like, well, if it were me, I would want this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Bug in particular keeps, once she finds out, you know, that Frankie's trans, she's like, oh, well, that's why he won't go in the water with me. I'm going to go buy him a wetsuit. Yes. And you do this, the wrong thing. Yeah. Without asking. Need. She yeah. wants to go to the beach. She desperately wants to go to the beach. Yeah. She doesn't ask Frankie. It causes it causes a fight, but I think the way that these characters model behavior is not that they're perfect and they know what to do, mm -hmm. but they are willing to make themselves vulnerable. They are willing to go out on a limb, and when they make a mistake, they can have a little kerfuffle over it, mm -hmm. and then they can like take a breath 
and be open mind enough to listen to each other. I think we have come to a very fraught moment where everybody is very scared about saying the wrong thing. And a little bit of grace in terms of like listening to your children as opposed yeah. to saying, well, you should, but just yeah. asking them, how does this feel for you? Why, why are you wanting to, you know, change your name? What, what does this mean? Trying to kind of let them talk to you about it and just listen. Cause my kids are constantly schooling me. Yeah. And then it being okay to kind of mess up these conversations if they're not a little bit awkward we're not doing them right because it means we're not pushing out of our comfort zone and we need to for that so I would just encourage parents to to model your own vulnerability about how fast the culture is changing and maybe mm -hmm. it's, it's hard for you to understand and, and you would love for your kids to who are so savvy about all this to to help have a conversation with you about yeah. this and then kind of model the support like sometimes you don't have to completely understand something or somebody to support them that's what unconditional love and support is it means like okay this works for you I'm not sure I fully get it but I love you and I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to believe you and I'm going to meet you there so that's really what I hope. People yeah, don't need to yeah. be perfect in all of this. They just yeah. need to be willing to kind of have the conversations. Yeah, yeah. I, you yeah. know, with one of my kids, I did have to be perfect. With with my kid who who is going through it, it's okay, mom. You're trying. You're trying. The other kid, no, you've got to get it right. You're just pissing her off. <laughs> it's like, oh. My kids tag team. Yeah, yeah. I. Yeah, I mean they're. I forget how they're identifying themselves yeah. lately. That's probably for them. But my old, yeah. my youngest daughter is black. And so we are, we have conversations constantly about racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia. And we have, we have huge fights that are, or not fights, I should say debates that are generational. And I, you know, at a certain point I say, well, look, this is just where I am. And they say, well, this makes me uncomfortable. I say, fine, I won't say this in front of you. Like I, I, I totally get it. And I think it's a, it creates more flexibility in me. I want to be agile and flexible and not mm -hmm. entrenched in the way I think about things just because I've you know, been around longer. And I, I think that what young people today are doing in terms of whether they're, they're trans or where they're on the spectrum, but, but sort of separating their performed gender from their biological sex, I think you and I would probably both agree that would have been a relief when we were growing up to not have to, not to be expected to be female or feminine in a certain way. I mean, I like to wear, I wear my hair long and I wear lipstick, but I have always been sort of chastised for being like too ambitious, too bossy, oh, yeah. too, too that. And oh. like all of the loaded, the loaded sort of gender stereotypes. from other women. That's what oh gets gosh. me. Yeah, it's all from other women. So I'm not been, wearing we've makeup. All, we've you all in the same. Yeah. yeah, you need yeah. to do this, I, especially at work. Um, you need to not be so bossy. You need to not do the, you know, not assert yourself, but you're not asserting yourself at the same time. You need to assert yourself. Wait, don't assert yourself. You need to do this. Wait, don't do you that. You need to be more pleasant when yeah. you just, I hope, I hope that with this generation that that might be different, that you know, so that they are... They are willing to let go of some of these these sort of boxes that that hurt boys and men, like yeah. the inability yeah. Yeah, yeah. to be. Yeah, I mean, Mick way in here, anybody way in here, but just this idea that like it, it is the feminine domain to be sensitive or empathic. Like, I really mm -hmm. think that that screws a lot of a lot of boys over. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I, I definitely would be considered, you know, growing up, a sensitive kid. 
and growing up in Idaho with um, kind of a innocence, you know, manly man type of father, you know, we were hunting, fishing, that the type of very masculine stuff. Um, I think we both kind of struggled with, you know, the fact that I was a little more sensitive and, and in that case, slightly feminine. I'm sure it seemed, you know, and then under that scope. Growing up, I, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle. I had to kind of reconcile that with what it is to be a man, quote unquote, you know, with just being who the hell I am. Um, so across the board, and I think, you know, we were talking about conversations. I think right now we have reached a point we have to have these conversations. It, if not, it's going to get even worse. And I don't know how much more worse it could get. Mm -hmm. Younger generations, I think, and I kind of feel bad, we've all kind of said, okay, we couldn't, wouldn't, or we're too scared to have these conversations. We're kind of putting it on you now. But I think if we're willing to listen and willing to understand the conversation is a two-way thing, we're both involved. We both have to listen. We both have to grow. We both have to um, deal with the uncomfortable parts as well as, you know, the, the parts we like about it. I think Bug and, and really all the characters in the book dealt with this in some way. They all had conversations. Sometimes it wasn't to their liking, but it seemed like everyone kind of grew. And I think that's a good example of, even though it's set 1987, what we can do now and what we're starting to do now kind of with everybody, you know, whether it's generational, gender, whatever. Bug seems to come by being a good ally pretty naturally. Um, and what can people take away from that example of Bug just rolling with it and being a good ally? Um, first of all, everything you said, Mick, I, I don't know if you have your camera on. I, I'm nodding. It was it, it resonated so much to me. Um, so thanks for that. You know, I think Bug just is a good friend. And, and she realizes that when Frankie is a good friend, like that's all she cares about. So much of her getting upset in the early part of the book is like she's feeling left out, right? And hurt people hurt people. She's, she's lashing out a little bit because she thinks like Frankie doesn't want to hang out with her. She thinks she's being rejected. So mm -hmm. on one hand, when she finds out that it's not about her, it's like, oh, and then it's this other thing compared to what she built up in her head. Like nobody likes her. Everybody's rejecting her. Oh, Frankie, Frankie is, you know, trans or however Frankie would describe it to her. It's like, it's like, Oh, that's all. Well, then let's get on with our having fun together because they really liked each other. And as we mentioned before, like, I think being a good friend comes naturally to Bug and being a good friend comes naturally to Frankie. Being a good ally, they have to, they have to learn. She has to ask Frankie some questions and he has to ask her some questions because, you know, Frankie, of course, has, has to grapple with what it means to be trans in 1987 in rural Ohio. But Bug is also grappling with the fact that She's never met her Salvadoran father. He died before she was born. And she and her brother are both biracial, but Bug does not look like her father. Danny is really seen as the in, by the world as Latino and Bug is not. And, and she has really conflicted feelings about that because even at age 10 in 1980s, even if she doesn't have a word for it, she does understand that the world is gonna treat her better. And then she finds that out explicitly. So the two of them really 
kind of push each other and support each other and, and bumble along on the way. And I think that that is really the key to allyship, which is being less concerned with getting everything right and, and every, every term right and being more concerned with being willing to be wrong and sit with your discomfort and listen to the person when they tell you what they need and then show up how they need you to show up not how you think you should show up. And both Bug and Frankie get there over the course of this book and it's a process for both of them. And to me, that is really allyship because they are learning in their you know, young ways to sort of decenter their own needs and experiences, to ask those questions, to listen and to act upon them. Yeah, I, I agree that I think that sense of openness is probably kind of the key and that, that willingness to listen. Um, you know, and going back, I think because Bugs at an age, that age, your brain is open to learning and observing and trying to get as much, you know, figuring out as possible. And so I think it's a good, good example for us all, because as we get older, we tend to get stuck on our ways. Not so much, I think, because we want to, it's just, you know, we got things to do <laughs> and we yeah. try to get in our way. I do like that you put the example of, um, is it Aunt Tina? The aunt. Aunt Terry. Aunt Terry. Aunt Terry in there. And I love that she has a non-binary name. But anyway, Aunt Terry, um, because she seems like she's not an ally, but a lot of what she's saying is not backing up what she's doing. But in the end, what she does is more of an ally than what a lot of people who say they are out, you know, use the quote unquote allies are. She just does the right thing. In the end, she comes out and helps when the guy upstairs, even though she says horrible things and you really want to squish her. And then all of a sudden you find out more about her. You know, you really want to hate this character. And then you find out, no, she actually, with the racial stuff, it's, it's not that she is against um, her sister marrying a, a certain person as much as that it's going to be hard for the kids because she grew up in rural California. Actually, I don't know where Visalia is. It's huh. yeah, it's in the Central Valley. Yeah, so kind yeah. of Central Valley and um, and uh, where things are different. And so that's her worldview. And she knows that a biracial kid will have a harder time in that setting. And she moves, you know, why would anybody want to live in the city? It's so gross. And, and, and it really wants to cling on to that thing, but also wants the rest of the world sees the rest of the world that way so it's not because it's i remember um oh who's the guy that played benson uh oh robert guillaume yes yeah, yeah. asked him in the 80s and i remember watching this interview with him and they said so your nephew came out to you as gay or told you he was gay and you were upset he goes no i'm not upset because he's gay that's fine i just worry because he's already black he has a mark against him already and now he's gay he's going to get attacked he was more in fear of um, his safety and um, you find that out about Terry that it's really a safety issue you know he, she's seen her parents do horrible things and um, because of the biracial issue with the uh, bug's mom but um, you know but Terry comes through she she comes through on the outset i'm learning to see people for what they do rather than what they say to me um 
I think actions actions do speak and Terry is pretty complicated. She she's a racist. She says some really hateful things, but she's also a product, a product of the world in which she grew up in. I think, you know, I think it gets back to your question is like what really makes an ally? I think it's being able to see beyond your people. So you'll have a lot of people who will say, well, I'm not racist because like my, my, my son is, you know, or my, I'm married to a black man. I'm married to a black man or like, (laughs) I know such and such. And it's like, it's great if you can like support the person live with yeah but but true allyship means being able to sort of blow that out to support the greater community of people you've never met and terry is an example of like well obviously she loves bug and danny their family Mm -hmm. but she's not going to help anybody else and and she's still going to hold on to those beliefs so she's complicated she she sacrificed for her family but i think you know the the sort of the end message here is like it's not enough. It's not enough to say, I take care of my own. Allyship in yourself intersectionally is part of a, of, of a lot of different groups and, and you have to kind of do the work and, you know, Frankie and Bug in their way, in their citizens' yeah. rest way and in the way that I like to think about their future, they, they are willing to do that work. Yeah. I just like yeah. that she's, she, when it, I mean, and even Terry did come out with um, the upstairs Aunt Philip, right? Yeah. God, what am I? Okay, names are not great with me, and I'll read a book oh, of the characters and have them in my head. But names, yeah, great. yeah. I, but um, with Philip, Terry comes out. He do, she does take care of Frankie. Absolutely, know, says yeah. some horrible things, and the kids are hearing horrible things. But I think in the end, after hearing Bug hearing that story, it just felt like to me that Bug was like, "Hey," had this eye opening moment with Terry. Like, "Hey, you know, she's not so evil. There's a good side to her." Um, I really don't want to go on one of those tours again with her to see the stars, but she's, a, she's, that's how you do things. It's you do things. And I, uh, for me, and you know, you're the author and you know what you wrote, uh, but no, it just no, felt I, like I, to me, it's like, yes, let's go do something. And they, I think it's really hard to hold two conflicting ideas in your yeah. hands at the same time. Yeah. But the of the matter is Terry is racist and says some hor- yeah. and homophobic and says some really horrible things. And Terry shows up for her brown niece mm-hmm. and nephew and takes care of Philip's nephew and does these things at the same time. So yeah. those are both true. I feel and like it, it did hard because we want to yeah. be able to again pigeonhole people as this yes, or that. And so it's uncomfortable to be like, wait, you're both. But that discomfort yeah. is where truth lives. I yeah. love complicated characters though. I think that makes it. In fact, I feel like it didn't. Sh- the book didn't really get to the meat of it until Terry shows up and all this stuff starts coming out. You're like, oh, wow, it's all happening so fast. I yeah. loved it. I loved her character. Um, yeah. I loved and her, I think uh, she uh, she had, a, it was a good example of, you know, the oh, the general, you know, issue at hand. It can be both black and white and very complicated at the same time. And I think it was a, a good example of that, um, especially in, you know, any sort of young adult literature. Um, you know, things can come out a little black and white, which in some cases isn't bad, but in something like this, I also have to show that it's also kind of a complicated issue and you're gonna have to deal with it being complicated just as much as black and white. 
Yeah, see, and for us bi people, we kind of live in the middle of stuff. So we love complicated. No, you know, it's like to it. hold yeah, those not, in your hand at the yeah, same we're time. Not, you can't pigeonhole us. And we like that. Um, I, I don't know. I can't speak for other bi people, I suppose. But I love that, that I can kind of feel my way through the world in this in this overlapping middle. Yeah, now, you're but the, just separate. You're in the liminal space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a very Absolutely. interesting place to be. And Absolutely. And Terry, I also want to add, and I think this holds true now, you fear what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So when yeah. you grow up someplace that's very white, and, and in, in Visalia, there's going to be a whole sort of dynamic in terms of like sort of class structure in terms yeah. of the, the workers that come there that do a lot of the agricultural work who, who in the 80s were brown. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the 80s, you'd be hearing about the gay plague and you've mm -hmm. never met a gay person or at least not one that you know. Oh, and that was so bad. I mean, yeah. I don't even know. Like, the disease, paranoia. I remember that, you know. That was terrible. Randy White. Terrible um, to have have elected officials calling it God's plague. I mean, yeah. it was just yeah. truly a horrific. And you have to think there was fear at the base of that, you know, just fear. What else would make somebody behave that way? But fear makes people do lethal, horrible things. Yeah. Well, you know, Westboro Church is over down the street here, right? you know, about 20 minutes away. I love to take people there because it's just a house. It's not really a church. It's somebody's house in the middle of a neighborhood. It's just a big house. About 20 people get there to worship if they worship at all. But it was attention. So that's yeah. a motivator too, is some of these politicians say stuff, you know, like the, uh, just out, outlandish stuff for attention. I feel like that was Donald Trump. He's not afraid. I don't think he's aware of the world outside of himself to, to be afraid. He's it's attention and, yeah. you know, not feeding into it is. And we feed into it. Oh, like the larger Taylor Greens of the world, we, we give, we amplify them like crazy. Yeah. Once the mm -hmm. media jumped on a Donald Trump, that's when he started winning things. Yeah. He got all that yep. free press coverage. So. Yes, he did. Oh yeah. And he enjoyed it, ate it up. Anyway, <laughs> aside from that. Yeah. Um, speaking of work, speaking yes. of work, you make your hope not just be a hope, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> It's, um, it's just a beautiful, uh, the characters just become so in-depth, um, each, each one of them. Uh, it was just a, I love character development like that, you know, and you don't no, just I, let it all out in the front. You just oh, slowly let it loose and just, it felt like you were being patient in the book and it forced me to be patient, which is hard. Well, <laughs> you're getting to know them as they get to know each other yeah. and themselves. And, yeah. you know, I've been writing about kids and for kids for most of my career. And yeah. it has given me an enormous respect. I started out as a journalist. I worked at 17 Magazine. We did stories that nobody believed that we did because they didn't believe teenagers would care yeah. about migrant team farm workers. I did a story about them or about like the civil war in Sierra Leone with child soldiers. Like mm -hmm. they were shocked that 17 does that? Teenagers care? Teenagers care. Yeah, that became a completely different yeah. magazine from when we were girls, okay? I know, I know. It was yeah, like yeah. a magical period yeah. where they were always, and I just think like, don't underestimate young people. Yeah, and so I've yeah. never written down to them. I've never sort of like babied it down. And I feel like with young people, you know, this is my first time writing for a younger audience and we deal with some some serious themes. I mean, I'm hoping the book is still a very fun page turner and delightful yeah. world to live in, but like Frankie and Bug are grappling with some serious things. And it's my respect for young people 
that makes me believe that, that they are able to grapple with them. And also in terms of readers, I have seen with readers who I've met, I've seen with my own children, readers tend to kind of self-censor. Like if they, they sometimes will read something and a lot of it will go over their head. Um, and sometimes they'll pick up a book and they'll, they'll just say not for me. And the way yeah. a kid might read sort of Harry Potter at 10 mm -hmm. versus at 20 is, it's a very different read. So I'm not really I, again, yeah. I, I respect the integrity, intelligence, and sensitivity of yeah. my readers. Yeah, yeah. And I think kids are very sophisticated. Um, yeah. And it used to be considered good for your kids to go watch Bambi, even though mom got shot. You know, I mean, they were because they could process death in those feelings. And now we want to protect the young ones. But those kids, my kids, you know, they're very sophisticated, much more than I think I was even as a child. And I don't think. You know, I remember reading things as a kid and being able to accept or reject them. That's how you learn what yeah. your beliefs are is by being exposed to things. Um, hopefully not horrible things, but you know, like even through, through reading um, is a great way to do it. Um, movies and entertainment and all that. Um, Absolutely. Well, so did you have any characters, Mick, that you wanted to ask about? I'm sure you did. I'm kind of, you know. Um, <laughs> did I you have a favorite character? I, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know if I really have a favorite. I, I appreciated all of them. Um, Philip, I guess as I'm getting older, I kind of appreciated Philip just because, you know, he's, he's doing his own thing and he doesn't care. And he's just, he's appreciating the family he has around him, which is kind of, you know, where I've been the last few years. And um, although as we're talking, I just realized that Bug and I were the same age in 1987. So now we have that to. You're that young. Wow. That just turned 44. So oh did the goodness. musical references resonate with you then, Mick? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a playlist. It's on my Instagram. I have a playlist that I made. A nice. Spotify playlist that's uh, music from the book. It was fun. Awesome. I think oh, most awesome. authors, whether they realize it or not, they have a playlist for all their books. Like for mine, I, I, I realized I have one. And so I gave in to one of them and actually put a, a playlist together on YouTube for it. Said, you know what? It's in the book. You might as well enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, there's a playlist of the what you listen to when you're writing. And then there's the playlist of music that is in the book. And sometimes yeah. it's the same. I listen to, listen to a lot of talking heads from this book. And then the previous book I wrote, which is a young adult book, which has a talking heads song that's sort of very mm -hmm. pivotal to the to the plot nice yeah yeah no I, music i think most people or most authors anyway music is a little more important to their process than they realize because it somehow always seeps in yeah it's like an Especially, emotional language right it to me it's like yeah. a shortcut so yeah and if it's you know any sort of period piece whatsoever whether it's last year or you know in this case 1987 it's going to be in there whether you realize it and i being you know a musician and appreciating music it just adds that much more yeah i remember in la in 1987 that area anyway on the radio I seem to live between places. So, you know, we, you know where Laguna Beach is, that area. It's halfway between San Diego and halfway between um, Los Angeles, essentially. Did you get KROQ where yeah, you were? Yeah, I got all that stuff. Yeah, and I think I woke up to that. But, you know, it was going from the end of the new wave era to heavy metal or, you know, hard, not 
not heavy metal, but hair bands, you know, hair bands. Yeah. And, and then we, we, we went into grunge in the nineties. Yeah. 90s. yeah, yeah. Well, that was up in Seattle. I was up there for that, but it was like yeah. for Los Angeles area itself. That's where a lot of the, you know, guns and roses and stuff like that was yeah. playing around down there. Yeah. So it was, Oh, anyway, before we get moving off of characters, the other character I wanted to bring up, because I, I want to talk a bit about community, the disco queen, flow, 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 um, coming, you know, t- giving them that, that talk about, well, there's this kind of person, that kind of person, and there's some transsexual, which was the word back then, so, uh, uh, people too, and it just, like, it felt like I did when I found, um, by resources on the internet, I don't, you know, finally mm-hmm. finding bisexual people out outside of my little, little tiny world, um, just the eyes open, I could see his eyes just opening and his jaw just dropping, <laughs> like, there's others, <laughs> not the only one. I think um, that's maybe my favorite scene in the book where yeah. Frankie and Butter, yeah. they're investigating for much of this book, a serial killer on the loose, and then when a crime happens closer to home, they shift their investigation and they actually start investigating. So they go and talk to Flo, who's this sort of roller roller disco queen. Um, and Bug has been so careful to keep Frankie's secret. Yeah. And obviously Frankie is very interested in Flo. He's very interested in anybody that he sees that, um, you know, doesn't perform their gender in a very yeah. traditional way. And when, um, you know, Flo makes reference to sort of queer and includes Frankie in that. And Frankie yeah. asks, what does queer mean? I thought that was, or one of those, isn't that a bad yeah. thing? And Flo explains, and Bug is scared for a minute that Frankie's been found out. But of course, for Frankie, it's the opposite. Yeah, it's like, oh, find out you are goodness. not alone. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. so important to have community. That's one of the things are, you know, um, we try to do here is build community for people. So I was just like, oh yes, this is, great but um you know and just that relief that you're not the only one and you're not as weird and as you think you are you know um especially not being quite one thing or the other it's just like where do you fit in and you find that spot you're like there's a whole world it's like it just opens up and it's just so freeing um a little overwhelming sometimes but you know very freeing yeah absolutely to us so okay well i i thank you for bringing that up i think it's one of the wonderful things about books yeah it's a way to to show us that that we are not alone and it's whether you know you're reading about a character who who looks like you or who has an experience like you or sometimes just about like an emotional experience that the character is having that you have also had and it's it's incredibly comforting to know that like, oh, it's not just me. Yeah, you feel like you're just sharing the emotions throughout the book with the characters. These were great characters. They're just really well done um, characters. uh, I'm always afraid to write a big book or something because I don't know that I could do justice to characters like you did here. Uh, It took eight years, it's a process. So the world has changed in eight years too. It has. It really has. has. Wow. Yeah. that's impressive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. To think about eight years ago. Um, it seems like almost two different eras, really. It, it is. Yeah. Nineteen eighty-seven hasn't changed, but sort of looking from then to yeah. now has has changed it again. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right. So uh, do you have any upcoming events or projects? I do have upcoming events. I think I'm going to be doing a mix of virtual and in-person events, um, which is so exciting. Like this is the first time I've sort of been out to see readers in, in forever. I know that I'm going to be doing Y'all Fest in South Carolina, which is a festival I love. And then there'll be a whole bunch of things coming up through the fall. And they're not on my website yet, but they will be. And you can also always catch up with what I'm doing on Twitter or on um, Instagram. It's at Gail Foreman for both of those. But I'm so excited to um, hopefully be able to go into schools again. We'll see what happens with the Delta. But I'm so glad my own kids are back in school. And I'm really, yes. really looking forward to like engaging with young people in real life. Because the novelty of Zoom has long since worn off. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody Zoomed out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the all-important question, where can yeah. people buy your work? Ideally, at your local independent bookstore, um, I will say that there is all of these delays happening in publishing right now with the supply chain. So this book is due to come out on October the 12th. Fingers crossed it does. You can get it anywhere books are sold, but I would love it if you buy it from your, from your local indie or go check it out from your local library. Tell your school librarian or your local librarian to stock this book. I think it's, um, you know, a book that I'm really looking forward to having lots of conversations about. Yeah, definitely. You know what? That's a good suggestion. Is I've done that with books. Get them to your library. If you love a book and you think it's worthy of that everybody should read it, you can suggest, make suggestions to your library and they, they um, will oftentimes absolutely. carry it if they're, yeah. or they will find it for you in their system somewhere. Um, but yeah, I've done that with Mick's book. Ha ha, Mick. You're in my library now, Mick. But um, oh man, yeah. I may have to. I may have. Yeah, and I, I think it's good too. There's been been a push to start using the library again because I know it kind of kind of became unpopular. But now you're getting more and more folks going back to the library, yeah. which is nice. It's good. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, for her, I, it was one of the first things that we opened. So yay. I love. I like to read books digitally because I. Um, wake up in the middle of the night and then I can read without waking anybody mm -hmm. but I don't I don't I want to I want to support my indie bookstore so I always wind up buying books you know in paper in the hard copy. Uh, but then I can sometimes also buy you know just I read them I just check them out from the library so I'll, I'll support an author by buying their book yeah. but I'll also just like get on a hold list and read it that way because that I read so much more when it's just on a tablet yeah, well you could check out ebooks too yeah, so I will check out the ebooks. It's great. So I've been using the library a ton. And there's comics. I that's how I finished the Walking Dead comic. I <laughs> 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 do graphic novels on the, but I could not. So it's there a, are so ton of them, and it works well. I know my eyes. I have to like blow everything up. Oh to no, go it'll do it. It'll like on the Kindle. It'll it'll um, go through and do it for you, and so it'll focus on each frame. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's really. Oh, cool. nice. Yeah, yeah, this is Hoopla is the app our library uses, and I know there's over drive and uh libby, libby. use libby yeah. yeah yeah which are yeah i think it's just overdrive for libraries but uh yeah it's really cool i'm having a blast um uh, oh i have to say one more thing know. about where to get this book oh yeah where I'm, to get where do you i am a book? huge fan of audiobooks yes. and my intro to audiobooks was actually with my kids when we listened to the ramona books on audio oh, oh nice by stalker channing and stalker channing oh, wow. doing the narration for franklin bug so, oh, wow. so excited for the audio. I haven't heard it, but you oh, can get wow. the audio. I use Libro FM for audio, which is 
a wonderful audio where you can actually buy the book from an independent bookseller. Oh, cool. It's a Latinx owned um, business. So you get to sort of support all that and listen to audio. So I'm, if you like audiobooks, I'm very excited for this one. That is cool. Yeah. That is awesome. Oh, wait, I already have the book. <laughs> Just go check it out, everyone. Yeah. So is there anything else we missed that you uh, still want to discuss? No, this was such a great and wide ranging conversation. And I just I want to thank you both for creating this space for your for your listeners and for the communities that you serve and for inviting me into the space. Well, well, thank you. And thank you for for writing the book. And thank you for being here. I mean, this is like you said, this is a great conversation. Yeah, it's super fun. I kind of want to hang out with you both now. Just keep talking. <laughs> uh, well, thanks again, Gail. Um, Gail Foreman for joining us and the book is called Frankie and Bug. It's a juvenile fiction book, but you're going to enjoy it if you're an adult. Trust me. Um, it will be out supposedly on October 12th, but like we've talked about, there's a delay. Uh, so, but just keep looking at Appport. I'm sure you'll find it. Ask your local resellers. Thanks also to my wonderful co-host, Mick Collins. I'm Elizabeth Meacham. Remember, there's a whole Bye Plus universe ready to embrace you. Reach out and find your community.